98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station, Bigly Blast. Paul Goldschmidt might become the National League's first Triple Crown winner in 85 years. He is most certainly the worst trade ever made by a franchise in this godforsaken sports town. And he also represents a cautionary tale for all Diamondbacks fans who believe in this surging youth movement orchestrated by Mike Hazen. As in, what's the point if you can't ultimately pay the superstars you develop? Now, I've got to confess, I feel a Ashamed about all of this because I was way too easy on the Diamondbacks when they traded Goldie. I agreed that his incoming salary demands didn't fit the competitive arc in Arizona. I speculated that his low pro personality made him unfit to lead a clubhouse. And when he struck out for the final out in a playoff series lost to the Dodgers with a runner on second base, I wondered about his ability in the really big moments. In truth, I was an idiot, just like the guy who owned the Diamondbacks. Just like I was way too easy on the team when they lowballed Randy Johnson, leading him to winning his 300th game in a Giants uniform. Now, I realized in both cases that I was way too sympathetic to the financial restraints of owning a baseball team in the desert for a guy who ranks near the bottom of baseball's wealthiest owners. And maybe there's a better solution looking forward than compassion and empathy. Maybe as these young players begin to develop, Ken Kendrick can finally look to cash out, selling to somebody who's got money to burn. All right, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury attainable with two great locations and one great experience. Shop online at ChapmanBMW.com. A swing, and there's a fly ball center field. That's head deep. Back to the wall. It's a gunner. A home run over the 400-foot marker in center field. Paul Goldschmidt with a two-home run day, and the Cardinals lead 8-2. to two. Paul Goldsmith. Paul Goldsmith. Uh, yeah, he's got 33 home runs, 105 RBI. He's batting 339. His OPS is 1057. He is the far and away front runner to win the MVP this year. And like you said in the blast, he's threatening triple crown status. Two home runs off Kyle Schwarber. Yeah. Two runs off the NL lead in home runs from Kyle Schwarber. Leads the NL in RBI by one over Pete Alonso. Leads the NL in batting average by a whopping 13 points wow. over Freddie Freeman. You know, no one is the last time a National Leaguer has hit the triple crown. It was 1936, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, Joe Medwick. You remember that team, don't you? Ducky Medwick. <laughs> that, that was Ducky? I don't know who was on that team. Joe, that it was, it's, been a, it's been a long time. It's, but it was the 36 right, Cardinals, right? Yeah. 37 Cardinals. Yeah, I thought it was 37. Oh, 37 yeah. Cardinals. Enos Slaughter. Oh, my goodness. 85 Dizzy years. Dean. Dizzy Dean. Dizzy and Ducky. Usual Dizzy wasn't Gillespie. there yet. No, I think, not yet. 85 years ago. Mm-hmm. And and as I've watched this season progress, I really have sort of had this moment of what what was the matter with you? Why was I so tolerant of that trade when it went down? Because of the financial realities of the Diamondbacks. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's I, true. I, I it's felt, exactly right. Was, I felt the same way. Yeah. It's like, oh, they can't afford they to pay him. He's gonna, him. he's gonna get two hundred million dollars. They can't afford to pay him. He so got one hundred and thirty million. He's a twenty-five million dollar a year player. They'll never admit it, but the Diamondbacks had to be shocked that he signed for that little. Uh, you're probably right. You're probably right. But this came after. Remember, they gave that first contract he signed was so team friendly. It was like five years, twenty-one million dollars. Do you remember that? His initial contract. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, I'm like, why was I so darn easy on this team letting a guy like that go for the package they got back in return? Which it isn't a wash yet. Tommy Henry is a young pitcher, right? He was part. Wasn't he part of that deal? No, no, oh, he was. He was a draft pick. Okay, you wish. all right. Never. You okay, wish. so it was, it was Luke, Luke Weaver, Weaver, Carson Kelly, Carson Kelly, and Andrew Young. Okay, two of those guys are gone. I just read you a stat about Luke Weaver. By did the, the way, did they get the draft pick that became Tommy Henry? Can't trade draft picks in baseball. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Um, Luke How Weaver. Did I think that had a in twelve games with the Diamondbacks had a seven seventy one ERA this year. They traded him to Kansas City. They got Emmanuel Rivera, who's actually been pretty good for the Diamondbacks, so mm-hmm. they've won that trade. Do you know what uh, Luke Weaver's ERA is with the Royals? I do not. Exactly the same, 771. How is that possible? <laughs> what a random ERA to have duplicated. Andrew Young is no yeah. longer in the organization, and Carson Kelly has had an up-and-down year uh, and started really poorly but has pulled out and had a, had a pretty decent second half of the season. I, I, I do think that there is some, some empathy and sympathy that goes goes along with trying to, to, to compete with the Dodgers and the Padres and the Giants when you're playing baseball in a desert. It's I, I do understand there are financial restraints. There are there are hurdles that no other team in Major League Baseball faces like the Diamondbacks. So I, I, I do think at times I've been way too tolerant of that and way too excusing of that. Because at the time, as I went back and I thought about this, because Goldie had a monstrous day in Wrigley Field yesterday. Monstrous. And I was thinking about this, and, and I just I remember I remember so much about this in retrospect because asking Goldie to be the alpha in a clubhouse, he wasn't gonna be that, but you pop him in a structure like St. Louis, you know, where they've got where they had Yadier Molina, where you know you know it's it was a perfect fit for him. It's just is it when the diamond, when the Cardinals rolled into town, it was the the, the first at bat of the series. Yeah, he hits it out of the park. He hits it out of the park, and you're like, oh. Thanks for that. <laughs> Thanks for that harsh reminder. I, I, it's a bad, bad trade. But yeah. you called it the worst trade in this the history of this forsaken sports. Is there one that tops it? Oof, that's a triple crown winner. That's usually a conversation I need to have a beer in front of me to have. <laughs> See, all right. So is it worse? that they did terribly in the trade or is it worse that they let him go? That they let him go. Because uh, the only thing I'm trying to wrestle with is like if he had stayed, would that have made any difference over the last four years? Do you, Probably what, do, not. Do you th- do, would it have made a difference to the success of the team, you yeah, mean? To I the see team. what you're saying. Yeah, maybe not. I, the, the fault in it to me, because whether it was right or wrong at the time, like Vince said, we all thought he was going to get a much bigger contract that was going to be un- that was going to be unrealistic. Now that's maybe the fault of the D-backs for not doing the research We're better. We're just closing there. the book on it. Yeah. yeah, but the real shame is that they didn't do better in what they got back for maybe, him. Maybe you're right because if they would have got say a stud 
prospect that was now going to be coming up with this group of superstars that they have, you know, as part of the deal that either came up, you know, would have come up last year or this year or something. But then then you could look at it differently. But at the time of the trade, Jared, Kelly and Weaver were both very highly thought of. And and some people actually thought, wow, the D-backs did okay for themselves. Yeah. With the realities of the situation, they had to get rid of him. That that was the consensus around baseballs that they had to get rid of him. Yeah. I get your point on maybe a younger prospect that might just be hitting the big leagues right now. They didn't get that. Yeah, and listen, so I again, so what are the solutions here? Well, part of the solutions uh, to being um, successful in this market would be exactly what they're doing now, where all the focus is on drafting and player development, building homegrown stars. But I'm telling you, everybody, not everybody, but many people whom I've engaged with in in brief conversations about the Diamondbacks, they all kind of say the same thing. Yeah, but so what? They're just they're they're not going to be able to sign these kids if they turn out to be stars. Exactly the thought I just had. How many times have we talked to Derek Hall this year about Corbin Carroll? He's the number one prospect in baseball, and he's very close to the major leagues. And let's say he hits the major leagues. And he has three or four great years. What happens then? Where mm-hmm. are the salaries? Are they seven hundred million at that point? Are the Diamondbacks going to be able to afford that? It, it's just it, it's it's demoralizing. Yeah. And, the, and the, the, the current structure in baseball is demoralizing. That's exactly right. And the season Goldie is having is sort of is sort of like the shadow that's over this youth movement here, mm-hmm. because even in Tampa they don't keep and sign their best players. But see, the, the problem is with this current state of baseball is that it's. It's no longer, you know, just being able to spend the money gets you the win, and it's not only just being able to develop your players. You have to be like the Dodgers and do both. Yeah. Because if you're just going to give the guy $500 million contract like the Phillies did with Bryce Harper, like the Angels did with Mike Trout or something, mm-hmm. that's not enough to win if you can't also develop no, players. No, it's exactly one of the things right. Bob Nightingale said, that even even with all they're doing here in Arizona, $100 million is not is not a reasonable number for today's Major League Baseball. you got to be closer to 200 and And and, and Bob, you know, as a guy that lives here and spends a lot of time here, he, he he's sensitive to their condition as well. But that baseline number has got to come up for the Diamondbacks. And they're saying it is going to go up. They're saying it's going to go up 25, 30 million bucks next year. But which makes the A's payroll of 25 million even that Isn't much that more amazing. Insanity. You've got to give the money to the right people, too. Not Madison Bumgarner. Right. They've never the right invested at the right time. They've never invested big in a position player. The two biggest contracts they've ever given out were, were Granky and Bumgarner, who were yeah. both you know on on the back nine of yeah. their career, and, and both won every five day kind of players. By the way, Enos Slaughter was not on the thirty seven card. Who was any Bruce Agrodowski, <laughs> Johnny Mize, Leo DeRocha, Leo DeRocha, sure, Peppa Martin, Peppa, <laughs> Peppa Pig, <laughs> Peppa Middleton. <laughs> <laughs> Dizzy Dean was on the team. 13 and 10 that year. Wasn't there also a Daffy Dean? There was a there Daffy was. Dean. So there was a Dizzy, a Daffy, Daffy. and a Ducky? How it was Joe that? Medwick. Ducky was his uh, yeah. was his uh, nickname. But yeah. I, I guess those are all nicknames. Yeah, but all he, did, nicknames. he didn't really go by it. He went by Joe. Yeah. After he won the Triple Crown, that Ducky thing went out the window. No one dared call him that anymore. Yeah, his other nickname on Baseball Reference, Muscles. (laughs) Muscles Medwick. (laughs) Coming up next, uh, we've been wondering when some Suns personnel was going to talk this offseason. We got somebody, the head coach. Monty Williams went on Sirius XM NBA Radio. We'll tell you what he had to say about his relationship with DeAndre Ayton next. Pickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 
Bickley and Murata. Dan Bickley and Vince Murata. Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Friday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings. Coming to you live from the Ak-Chan Community Studios. Dan Bickley, Vince Murata, Sarah Cazell, Jared Carlin with you until uh, 10 o'clock. Uh, as I pointed out very early this morning in the splash, we are 37 days away from preseason Suns basketball. When the Adelaide 36ers... Come to what? In the world. Are they Scottish? Yeah. They I Scottish? can't do Australian. I just watched. Uh, I just watched the White Lotus, and the mm. guy who runs the, the 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 hotel manager on the White Lotus has got the greatest. I, I was trying to emulate him. I, I can't do the Australian thing it's for whatever reason. I, I won't try again. I promise. Sarah um, looked up why they were called the Thirty Sixers. By yeah, the way. I did. And drop some knowledge. The colony of South Australia was officially proclaimed on the twenty eighth of December in eighteen thirty. Totally, wow. I totally knew that. Obviously. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I was just testing you. <laughs> yeah, they had a bunch of 36-year-olds on their team was my, my philosophy. <laughs> Uh, we've been kind of also lamenting the fact that the Suns have had a very quiet offseason in terms of communication. Uh, maybe that's by design after the, the painful exit to the playoffs. Uh, but they've had, you know, Monty Williams have a contract extension. Devin Booker signed a contract extension. DeAndre Ayton, after a sign and trade, uh, or a, uh, excuse me, an offer sheet from the Pacers, got a contract extension. There's been really no communication uh, with the public. Monty Williams, though, did go on Eddie Johnson's radio show with Justin Termini on uh, Sirius XM NBA Radio yesterday. And the subject that we've talked about a lot, do the Suns need to smooth things over with DeAndre Ayton? What is the relationship like after that little blow-up in Game 7 against against Dallas between Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton that led to the it's internal comment. Uh, Monty Williams discussed his relationship with DA. You know, I've heard all that stuff second and third hand, all the narratives. Um, you know, the bottom line is I have to coach, and all of our players will tell you that I coach everybody. When I have to make a move like that, it's me calling them up. It's never personal. And I think D.A. said it best when he did an interview. You know, our relationship is calm. And I've invested a lot of time into the the player and the person. And when I do something like that, it's because I want I want what's best for you. But I also have to, you know, try my best to hold everybody accountable. At the same time, there are times where I wish I could have handled things a little bit differently. I, I will you know, pick at myself, but our relationship, I, I, I don't, I don't know where all that stuff is coming from. I have a great relationship with all of our guys uh, and I've built an, I think I've built up enough equity with every player on our team. They know how much I care about them and how much I love them, but I also have to coach them. I know there might be some people saying, okay, maybe I don't buy that so much, but I, I think in the, in the Aiton Williams game mm-hmm. seven example, what people dismissed was the emotion of all of it. It was so such an extreme meltdown and your championship hopes are obviously extinguished at that point. Everybody's frustrated. They had to be walking around like zombies thinking, what happened? So Monty Williams is not exempt from that type of behavior. He's mm-hmm. a very calm, uh, measured head coach at this point of his career. But, you know, that that little incident with DeAndre Ayton, who was emotional, he was probably emotional. Maybe we're putting too much into that. No, I don't think so. I be, I, I do I do agree with everything Monty Williams said, and that, and that basically is... Monty Williams has given and given and given to his players and cared about his players to the extent where um, there should be nothing that no single incident that blows up a relationship. 
And so I'm with him on that. And I, and I, I, I'm very sympathetic to that, but I'm also, I also know, and, and we do as well, that, that there was something brewing between DA and the head coach and DA and the rest of the team that culminated in that game seven. Because I've told that story the repeatedly about uh, how Monty responded to questions about how great D.A. has been dealing with this contract and how clearly he was giving vibes to both Ken Summers and I that that's not necessarily uh, the real story here. And then it manifested, and that was in the middle of the New Orleans series, and then, you know, a week and a half later, game seven or two weeks later, that happens. It, and But I, I think a lot of that was on D.A., because I think D.A. was probably he, he was giving off some vibes that that was that was rubbing people the wrong way. Look, I wasn't there when you were there. I didn't pick up those vibes that you picked up. Yeah. But can I offer maybe an alternative sure. school of thought? Sure. Is that, you know, maybe the head coach didn't want a lot of discussion about contract status in the middle of a playoff run. You could see coaches trying to shut that down. Again, I wasn't there, so I can't pick up on what the if answer was, was the vibe. If it was just uh, him sort of shutting down me, that would be one thing. But when Kent Summers followed up with a question, and he was very abrupt with Kent to the point where he came and apologized to Kent later, that made me know that that DA was that that DA was rubbing some people the wrong way with something. I, I don't think there's any doubt. There's no doubt okay. in my mind about that. Um, but I, I, there might be some truth to what you're just offering there, too. I do think, though, something changed. Something happened. Because, it, you know, if you go back and watch Game 7, which unfortunately I have, D.A. is he's just floating up and down the court. But again, they're down by 27 or whatever it was at the time. And that wasn't all on him. No, it was very evident. And, and people will say, oh, they scored 27 points in the, in the first half. I knew in the first three minutes of that game mm-hmm. how that was going to go. I didn't know it would be that extreme. But it was just one of those weird things where there was no juice at all in that building and with that team, and it was unexplainable in in, in real time. But um, I, I think it became evident to the guys on on the team too pretty early, and that would lead to floating. And Da kind of wears that at mm-hmm. this point mm-hmm. uh, because he w- he was the guy that was quote unquote made an example out of. But there was there was a, not a whole ton of effort going on. No, and so so again for that that whole culture to collapse the way they did was it, that that's the most stunning thing of all mm-hmm. and and the, the sun's gonna have to wear that i i am so fascinated at at w- what they're gonna do with that scarlet letter that they're wearing now what how are how are they going to react to that is it going to make them better is it going to make them more fierce is it going to change the way they are is it going to change their swagger it's going to be a real hard thing for the suns if they do run it back fully um to to be that same kind of team to be that same swaggerful dance all the time kind of team it's hard to do that when you get blown out the way they did in game seven of at home in a playoff series. Yeah, it's just a matter of how far, how, how soon, when the, after the season begins, can they wash that away? Yeah. And, and move forward. Basketball and, season's going to be, it's going to be insane. Yeah. It's going to be like a psychology experience. It, it really will be. <laughs> yeah. You can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, Cardinals taking on the Titans tomorrow. We'll get a look at the Titans from their radio analyst, former Cardinals head coach, and one of the best dudes on earth. Dave McGinnis joins us next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Thank you. 
Weekly Marauder Mornings on this Friday live from the Oxygen Community Studios getting ready for the Cardinals and the Tennessee Titans preseason finale tomorrow for both teams from Nashville here to talk about it with us. He's on the uh, Titans Radio Network as a color analyst, former Cardinals head coach Dave McGinnis, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. Coach, how are you this morning? Mac! <laughs> What's up, guys? I'm very, very disappointed that y'all aren't here in Nash Vegas with me. I know. I'm very disappointed. So I, 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 I came out to practice and you know, early and, and went over there to the Cardinal Field and saw everybody, and you guys weren't there. But I'm glad to be on with you this morning. Yeah, we're, we're disappointed we're not there. We had such a good time the last time we were out there, Coach. Um, well, I mean, it's hard. Hey, can I say this to both of you? I know both of you pretty well. It's hard not to have a good time in Nash Vegas. <laughs> it is true. It is, yeah. The place is nuts, man. I don't think I was quite ready for what Nash Vegas has become over the years, but yeah, it's it lives up to your nickname, Mac. (laughs) So, Mac, check this out. so it's check 25 the, 7 down there on yeah, Broadway. 20, 25 7. <laughs> I, I, I warned all the guys, you know, before before practice. I said, you know, enjoy this. But uh, I know that they're working out over at Vanderbilt, too. It's not very far, but it's just right. You just got to get right on the highway and go right down Broadway. I said, be careful of Broadway. <laughs> Coach, uh, the, uh, the joint practices that went on, we're seeing a trend now. A lot of teams getting into it. And it seemed like it was mutually beneficial for both the Cardinals and the Titans, did you walk away with that same feeling? Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and the Titans have had a, have had a nice, uh, you know, preseason because they've had two teams coming here, quality teams with quality work. The two the two days that we worked against Tampa Bay were two very physical days, you know, prior to that preseason game. And then, you know, we only worked against the Cardinals once, and then it was a it was mainly a one on one, a seven on seven, and then you know, a couple of two minute periods. They didn't have they they went on separate fields when they did they did team they did team. You know, against uh, you know Titans versus Titans and Cardinals versus Cardinals, but it was good. I mean, and guys, you see people in the league now doing this more and more. You've got three preseason games, and you know, as a as a lifelong coach in this league, I always enjoyed you know the the joint practices because you can you can you can script those and you can uh, put scenarios together that you want to see happen. You can't control a preseason game. I mean, at, at all. You know, right. scenarios come up in the flow of a game, but working against, especially. If you've got a staff that you can work mm-hmm. with, which you know the, the Titans have had two really good staffs to to work with to put these things together, it's very beneficial. One of the things that's been interesting about this training camp under Cliff Kingsbury is is they just really aren't playing any of the starters in any of these games. And I was going to ask you, what are your thoughts on that? Do football players need something? Do they need some live reps before a season, or is or is the whole thing kind of overblown? Well, I think I think what you need, and here's the thing, uh, Vic, that's so much different than when I first started this 37 seasons ago in the National Football League. That is different, you know. You, you know, players are working out all year now. That's number one to begin with, and number two, you know, before there was free agency and before there was a salary cap, that you didn't flip your roster at all. Okay, so you had the same guys all the time. Now, when you flip your roster, 30 percent of the, the the time every off season, you've got to give these these new guys a look. You've got to see who they are. And now that you cut it down to three preseason games, that's why you are seeing the preponderance of these joint practices. Now you've got to give your young guys some reps to look at. And he, and here's the other thing. And we all we all know what injuries are, but but nowadays, you know, the injury factor is is so critical. You know, especially with your starters. And again, you know, if you've got you know for your quarterbacks and for your 
guys that you've got a lot of money in. you got somebody out there. If you have a starter out there and somebody else has a second or a third line guy out there that you cannot control during the preseason game and they, they fall into their legs or they're athletically not as, as in tune as your, as your starters would be, I mean, it, it's just a chance that you know, some people don't want to take. And all, all the head coaches in the league you know, have different philosophies on it. And so to me, I think it's an individual philosophy, not only with a team, but also with your individual players. You know, like, uh, you know, Derrick Henry has started to get a lot of teamwork here, but they're not going to expose Derrick Henry mm-hmm. out there as to where somebody that's, you know, maybe slapping at his ankles or, or trying to hit. I mean, mm-hmm. you see any kind yeah. of injury that you read about or hear about now in the preseason, you just, you just, you know, put your hand in your face and go, wow. Now, I mean, that's devastating. Yeah, it is. Dave McGinnis, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. When I look at the Titans depth chart coach, I, 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 I look at the defense and I really like what I see. 12 win team from last year. I think the questions I have about Tennessee are on the offensive side. Namely, they they traded A.J. Brown on draft night. Great receiver. How equipped are they to overcome the the loss of A.J. Brown on that offense in your mind? Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. As I said, this is a a different team. Uh, You know, the thing about it is, about this this team last year, and of course last year is gone, but they were able to win 12 games going through 91 players during the regular season. I mean, that's unprecedented. You know, it really is. And so they've got They've got uh, you know a good system in place here to be able to bring guys in, to be able to coach them up, train them up, and then put them specifically in, in game situations where they can succeed. And 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 they proved they proved that last year. And so offensively, you know, AJ Brown was a, was a huge contributor. But you know, you, this is where I say when you start balancing the salary cap and you you start allocating assets, and receivers are starting to get more and more money, yeah. which is fine. I'm, I'm not for I'm for everybody getting as much money as they can. But the percentage of your cap sometimes with where you are as a, as a team just won't allow some of those things. And so I think that, that they're in, in, in decent shape. We'll find out. I mean, uh, you know, they've been developing these receivers throughout this whole whole process. You know, Robert Woods was a, was a big free agent get. He's a, he's healed from that, uh, you know, that ACL. He hasn't had a brace on, you know, all of camp. And so when you start looking at it, but really, guys, I could sit here and tell you, yeah, this looks good. This doesn't look so good. But until they really start playing for real, I mean, I yeah. would just be yeah. saying words that don't mean much. <laughs> I do it all the time, Mac. We, we do it for four hours a day. <laughs> That's right. Um, I don't know if how much you uh, heard about or followed some of the Kyler Murray contract drama. If you did, I'm curious what you might think about it. And, and maybe in a bigger light, what do you think about his potential as a franchise quarterback? Well, I mean, I think he's got all the skill set, especially for that offense that you would want. I mean, you've got a guy that's got, you know, exceptional mobility. You've got a guy that's got an exceptional arm. I mean, you know, he tore the Titans up last year in that opener. His off-schedule plays, every off-schedule play he made last year in the opener here was devastating. You know, they, they couldn't track him down, and then he was able to, to, to move around enough. And plus, I mean, he's got the, he's got that, that uh, Major League Baseball shortstop arm that he can make a throw off of any platform. So, you know, if you're running that type of an offense, I think he's I think he's ideal. I like what I saw, you know, of him out here. I mean, he can spin that thing, and so you know, to me, you know, franchise quarterback is 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 a is a is a nomenclature that fits what you're doing. Some guys are franchise quarterbacks because they fit what the franchise is doing. I think he fits what they're doing offensively. Interesting. All right, now how about all the balance of power shifting over to the AFC? A big difference from last year, in my opinion. 
Well, I mean, you talk about balance of power. We will find out. We will see. I mean, I know that you know you've got a you've got some some quarterbacks that are in the AFC, especially in that you know just check the AFC West who they've got you know under center, and uh, you think that they will probably be pretty good teams. Titans are going to play most of them, so we will find out. But yeah. you know, all of this all of this uh, prognostication, I'm really not smart enough to figure out here that we sit here at the end of August as to who's going to be really good. You know, in November and December, that's for that's for gurus to figure out. I'm just I'm just a coach that talks on the radio, you know, and I, I can't figure all of that stuff out. But there, there, there are some good teams in the AFC right now that are pretty balanced offensively and defensively. Big. Dave McGinnis, our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. Before we let you go, we know you got experience uh, coaching Aaron Donald once upon a time, and he made news. No, no, hey, no, 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 you don't even have to go any further. Don't don't fight him. I'm telling you, don't fight him. Don't fight him. But, don't fight him. I no. mean that that would be that would be. I mean I was involved in in the drafting of him when he was there, and from the first time he showed up, I mean veterans when he was a rookie, they would say, "Don't mess with this guy." You know, don't don't fight him, and especially <laughs> now that he's you know he, he's he's that dude. I mean you kind of got to understand you know when you walk when you walk into the cage who you're in there with. Don't right. fight him. Right. Uh, as fate would have it, Mac, we talked to Mike Dragon today, and he. <laughs> told me you you've got an amazing story story of pulling of Aaron Donald pulling the face mask off a, off a guy's helmet well, I was on the same team. That was his rookie year. And, and, you know, the offensive center made a real bad mistake. He was playing the three technique. They're running outside zone. Now we're talking real ball here. And he cut him. He cut Aaron Donald from behind. And Aaron Donald jumped up and, and took a offense to that immediately, you know, as a rookie. And then as they started to fight, he grabbed his face mask and about one or two yanks. He's got his face mask in his hand oh and the screws are flying out. You got a dude standing there without a face mask. So don't fight him. <laughs> <laughs> that is the best. Words to live by right there. Don't fight Aaron Donald. Uh, Coach, don't fight him. Coach, thanks so much for the time. Always great to talk to you. We appreciate it. Guys, really enjoy talking to you guys. I'm sad you're not here, but uh, thanks for having me. Next time back, we got you. Dave McGinnis of the uh, Titans Radio Network, our guest on the Arizona Sports Line. Coming up next, we got college football that actually counts starting tomorrow. We're six days away from ASU's opener against NAU. And not a real good projection for the Sun Devils that we'll share with you next. Bickley and Murata Mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Bickley and Murata mornings. I didn't really have the support um, that I needed to be successful on that level. Um, and especially all the work that I put in over the, the past four years there, um, I, I just didn't feel like I got the same effort back into me uh, being successful. And I just kind of thought they wanted to move on to Another guy. That is Emory Jones, the uh, new quarterback for the mm-hmm. Arizona State Sun Devils. On why he transferred from Florida, he joined Burns and Gambo last Friday. We are six days away. Next Friday, we'll be talking about an Arizona State football game to some degree on our show. Uh, is that a promise or a threat, for better or for worse? I mean, I'd like to talk about it. It'll yeah. be in the splash, at least. Oh, it will be. <laughs> yeah, right. some updates. Right. Um, it, it, look, I, I don't think anybody really has a handle on what to expect. No. It, it, this, There's 43 new players on the team. This ASU football team, I was thinking about it today, it kind of has the, the feeling of, a, of an expansion team. You don't know what you're going to get. Now, there no. are some leftovers, some holdovers that didn't transfer, but 43 new players this year. Um, some people, you know, 
see ASU as a middle of the pack, Pac-12 team. Others do not. Uh, among them, Stuart Mandel from The Athletic put out his Pac-12 predictions, mm-hmm. and it is a bleak picture for the Arizona State Sun Devils. Indeed. He's picked them 12th. He's got them in a tier uh, with Colorado. And he says both of uh, Colorado and Arizona State make up tier four, both of which seem rudderless at the top and in danger of hitting rock bottom as a result. He's projected the Sun Devils pick to go one and eight in Pac-12 play and three and nine overall. Yeah, that the one and eight in, in conference play is what's truly alarming. I wonder where that one win is. I wonder if that's against the Wildcats. I wonder if it's against the Buffs. Probably the Buffaloes, I'm guessing. Maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah. Don't count out the surging Arizona Wildcats, okay? Well, Stuart Mandel's got the Wildcats at 6-6. Six and six, so he's Is got, that right? That's five, right. He what? does. 5-7. and seven. Oh. I'll take it. Are you sure? Yeah, okay. Yeah, four and five in the Pac-12, uh, five and seven over. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, then that I miss, non-con is then I, That's five times the amount of wins they had last year. <laughs> Will they five. be the only team to increase their win five, win total five times over? Vinny, that's five times the amount of wins they've had this decade. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, yeah. That is true. It is actually true. Back to back zero win seasons. Yeah, right. Um, The other thing that's really interesting to me about what's going on in the Pac-12, we didn't get into this a couple of days ago, but there was a report from Brett McMurphy, who covers college football, has broke a couple big stories. He's reporting that Oregon and the Big Ten are kind of doing the dance, that Oregon is working their way up the food chain, um, talking to all the people they've got to talk to uh, to get the invite to join the Big Ten. And if that happens and you lose Oregon and maybe Washington, then you're then you're scrambling. Then you're left out of the party. And mm-hmm. I think you've got to be real careful about that if you're ASU. You don't want to you don't want to I don't know. I've I've I'm weirded out by where this whole thing is going. I do not see this working out well for the Pac twelve. Oh, neither do I. Because it doesn't seem like philosophically Arizona State and the Big 12 is a good fit. I mean, we've got the comments from A. Anderson about, you know, that, that weren't exactly, you know what I'm it's saying It's not a here. cultural fit. It's really, it, yeah, yeah and, and, it, and it truly isn't. And again, I think Michael Crow and ASU fashion themselves as the left coast academic elite. The, the, they feel they're more in line with, with Berkeley and Stanford and all that stuff. I don't think they want to be in a conference full of a lot of land grant use. And yeah. that's, and, and I, I, I don't know that, but I feel that. So uh, where are you going to end up? Are you going to try to be innovative and create create something really different and weird and call it the Pac-12? I don't know. Go independent. (laughs) That's a thought. I mean, there's hardly any independents left. Uh, Here's uh, Brett McMurphy. This was on WJOX, uh, I believe, in... Somewhere in the South. I don't know. Yeah, I reported that the Oregon's president, maybe, and Kevin Warren were not in these meetings. They're like, well, how big are these meetings are they if those guys aren't at the at the meeting? Well, it's it's not to that point yet. They're working their way up the food chain. They're, you know, making sure uh, they have all the information. Both parties have information from, from both sides. Um, and it's it's a process. Uh, it's in uh, Birmingham, by the way. Sorry about that. It didn't yeah, apply Birmingham. Yeah, I was right. South, you're right. Uh, 538.com did a whole number crunching exercise because it looks like the Big Ten, from my perspective, is drunk with power. 
When yeah. Kevin Warren, the, the commissioner of the Big Ten, came out last week and said, we're not done. We could get up to 20 teams. We could start paying our athletes' salaries with all of this television money. We have, we're rolling in at this point with this new TV deal, $7 mm-hmm. billion, dollars, whatever it is. They could go just drunk with power. Uh, so they've ranked all the schools in the uh, that are eligible to be plucked by the Big Ten. ASU came 13th on that list. The schools that are ahead of them, far and away, Notre Dame number one. And they based it on recent um, athletic success. Oklahoma State, two. North Carolina, three. Oregon, four. Stanford, five. Followed by Clemson, Florida State, Utah, Washington, West Virginia, Miami, TCU, and Arizona State. Right ahead of Cal and Duke. So if you're holding out hope that the Big the Big Ten is going to expand by that much, it's ASU doesn't seem to be on the radar. No, at all. no. The Big Twelve thing you already covered, mm-hmm. and you know we're a couple weeks removed now from this Big Ten TV revenue deal news breaking, and right. it was supposed to be good news for the Pac-12, and we're not hearing any rumblings. The well, only rumbling we've heard is from Brett McMurphy that Oregon's doing their due diligence, and, and that's the whole thing. So how do you how do you as a conference strike a TV deal? with a network that doesn't even know who's going to be in your conference. It, it would seem to me to be a huge impediment to get it done. And that again, this is sort of the difference between real solidarity and solidarity, wink, wink, f- toes crossed, fingers crossed, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, our favorite former conference commissioner, Bob Bowlesby, he spoke recently. Listen to what he said. Now with with gambling so prevalent, in America on mm-hmm. sports. Listen to this. There's greater uh, involvement uh, on data management and and uh, particularly data that's going to uh, gambling sources. And so, you know, there we'll we'll have a we'll have a gambling scandal uh, one of these first days uh, with somebody getting their hooks into a student athlete or or into a coach. And uh, you know, there there are plenty of challenges to go around. Um, wow. He said that very matter-of-factly, oh, didn't yeah. he? Like, it's just a matter of time. He said it's slower than that, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, both be Gambling. <laughs> yeah, one of these first days, it's happening. Look, well, we've had, I, I we've don't had think gambling he's scandals in college athletics before. Yeah, I do not think he's wrong. I, I, I do think that it, it's the, the whole thing is just ripe for... Corruption. Um, to, yeah, go ahead. To come full circle back to, again, it's it's a mystery. Go back to what Dave McGinnis just said. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just a guy saying words on the radio right now. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen either, but one win in the Pac-12 for ASU? They have more mm-hmm. talent than that, don't they? I would think. I mean, one win in conference, and you have to project the, the, the other wins are against Eastern Michigan and, and NAU. Yeah. Oh, that would a nightmare that would be. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, I well, I, I do think that prediction, obviously, um, is assuming that a lot of the dysfunction is going to continue. Listen, like I said got, earlier, they got a bunch of guys that want to be there now. That's a, and that's a big deal. I, I totally agree with you that. And there's not, and they've got some stability among the coaches that are there. I mean, certainly more than last year at this right. time. And they've got Brian Billick. How can they not win? <laughs> <laughs> Coming up next, we'll hit the 9 o'clock hour on Twitter at Bickley underscore Murata through some social studies. Sarah Cazell will take us through it next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings, 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.